Survival and Basic Badass Podcast with Kevin, Chuck, and Chris. Now, Chris has on, an amazing story. Morning. Chris has an amazing story of uh, coming across the uh, U.S.-Mexico border. And uh, I don't know. Let's kind of jump right into it. Chris, uh, tell us what you got. No, great. Uh, first off, thanks for having me back, guys. I absolutely love your podcast. Uh, I mean, you guys are just straight legit, and I love this. And if you have, if you're watching this on YouTube and you guys haven't hit that like and subscribe button, you need to because these guys are on top of it. And I absolutely love being a guest here. So thanks for having me back. First off, uh, guys, it's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's nice having you here. No, it's great. I love it. Uh, so yeah, I want to I want to preface this story a little bit because. Uh, you know, we talk about like illegal border crossings and stuff like that all the time. I want to explain that everything I did here was completely legal and within the boundaries of the law. Uh, so there, it's uh, though it would be cool to be like, yeah, I used a coyote to get across the border and I, I traveled underneath a semi trailer. Uh, sadly, it's not that type of story because I wanted to do everything legal. Uh, right. You know, because I support law and order, I support legal immigration. What I don't support is illegal immigration. And that's obviously a big problem right now. And I can kind of talk about what I saw while I was down there because I was legit on the border. Yeah. Uh, So, again, a little preface uh, on this. Uh, So I married a lady from Ukraine uh, in 2018. We actually met in 2016 in Ukraine. There was no conflict at that point. There was everything going on in the east, which was kind of like a a warm, you know, World War One type thing. Like we're shooting shots across the trenches and nothing really happens, you know, until later. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so we met in 2016. I brought her here legally again on a fiance K one visa. Uh, we got married in 2018. And, uh, of course, when everything started in February of 22, that was a day that I'll never personally forget. Uh, because, uh, you know, my wife comes to me, she's telling me that there, there are explosions all over Ukraine, uh, and things like that. And so, it was nasty uh, the first couple of weeks, uh, to be honest with you. And her mother was still there in Ukraine. Obviously, I wasn't able to bring her over. Uh, and so uh, here's kind of how things went down. So this is this is a, a literal live bug out situation. OK, you know, we talk about in the prepping community, getting your bug out bags ready. And a lot of people are like, oh, dude, I'll never do that. You might. Uh, and this is a this is a perfect example of what a real bug out situation will look like. So. Uh, her mother lives in in southern Ukraine in her town. Uh, it's, the town's called Nikolai. It's basically in between uh, Odessa, which I think everybody knows about now. It's the port city down there on the south, and then Kherson. Kherson's kind of like where they had the city split in half by the river. Uh, so they're basically sandwiched in between that. Uh, and there was a, there is a military base in Nikolai, so there was a lot of bombing there uh, for the first couple weeks. Uh, there was like shooting going on in the street. Uh, there. From what I understand, there was like Spetsnaz that uh, basically like like para dropped in and they were masquerading as being locals and just causing havoc uh, all around. So it's like they had strict curfew laws at night. Like if you were outside and you got caught outside at night, it was, uh, you know, pretty much without question. So, you know, it was pretty nasty to start off. There was shooting going on in the streets. Like I heard like when my wife was talking to my mother-in-law over, you know, the Internet you could hear the gunfire in the streets. It was crazy to start off with. So the first step was getting her out of Ukraine, 
right? Uh, so this part, I can't say that I was able to do personally, but I was there kind of helping things along. Uh, so I had a, a group of people who had done the same thing that I did, uh, who had, you know, met their lady in Ukraine and were trying to get people out. And so I was able to get on various telegram channels and things like that, that were organizing rides for people who were trying to get out of the city. And, uh, there was a point where on bug out day, for lack of a better term, uh, we, we, there were two options for us. There was a friend of mine who had uh, somebody who knew he knew who had a car that was going to pick up, you know, some people there in her town. And then there were going to be buses that were supposed to take people to the border because they were trying to evacuate people from the combat zone. Right. And she went to the bus stop and it was just packed. Like there were hundreds upon hundreds of people there waiting to try and get on these buses. And, then we have this decision. Well, do we go for the car or do we stay for the buses? Eventually, we decided to go for the car, which was the right choice because the buses actually never showed up. Uh, so first, what actually happened was the people who were driving these buses basically contacted their friends and family, said, meet us here. We'll pick you up and take you to the border. So if there's a prepper lesson here, uh, when we're in SHTF, people are going to look out for number one and for their family and friends first. So if you think that the government is going to come and save you, think again. Uh, so that yeah, go ahead, Kevin. No, it just uh, it just seems that you know the government is made up of people. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And people are like you said, people are going to look out for themselves. And it seems like uh, that really is something um, something to keep in mind. You got to you, count on you've yourself. You've noticed and, that is a theme family. in our current government that they <laughs> look out bit. for themselves and their friends. Bit. Uh, it would be a uh, slow burn saying, uh, you know, it feels like the bus would be a moving target. Yeah. Uh, but at that point they weren't really targeting civilians because we're talking about the first couple weeks of the war, uh, was where we're at here. So they were still, you know, hitting military targets for the most part. Uh, they were hitting train stations as well, but not as much, uh, because again, I think they were trying to preserve the infrastructure at that time. Now that's different now. Uh, so we went with the car. Thankfully, uh, the person came to pick her up. They were able to get to the border. They actually went through, uh, what was it? It was uh, Slovakia, if I'm not mistaken. It's right there. I'd have to pull up a map. I can't remember, honestly. Uh, But they went through there. They then took the train from there to Austria, and then she went from Austria to Poland, uh, Gdansk, Poland. It's in the northern part. It's there by the uh, the sea there on the north. And that's where she stayed for about a month. And during this time, we were trying to figure out how can we get her mother here? Uh, because we want to, you know, take care of her and it would be cheaper for us to provide for her here than having to provide for her apartment, her food, stuff like that over there in Poland. So, uh, of course, we're looking for all legal avenues, right? We're not looking to, you know, have my mother-in-law swim across the Rio Grande, uh, you know, and meet her with a four-wheeler on the other side, which would be hilarious, but not exactly the best option. So, uh, you know, we are trying to figure out how can we do this? Can we go through, you know, the legal channels for immigration? And I called, you know, my senators, representatives. We actually have a representative here in Indiana where I'm from uh, who's from Ukraine. Uh, and I called her office. She's technically not my representative. So they're like, yeah, there's not much we can do for you, but let us know if you need like some, uh, you know, if we can help put pressure anywhere for you once they do this. But they're like, really, the only ways to do it legally is to bring what we call is family reunification which is like a year wait time. And of course, at the beginning of this conflict, there was a lot of rhetoric going on. Let's just put it that way. And there still is. I know you guys, we just did a, a discussion about this and it's, it's just getting out of hand over there to say the least. 
Uh, but we're like, we don't know when we're going to be able to get her here if we use the legal process. So I was talking, again, I had a group of guys uh, that I was talking with who had done the same thing. And there was an older gentleman who was trying to get his daughter-in-law here. So his his wife was older, had a child already. And so they went to the embassy in Germany. They tried to get her a visitor visa. They tried to do everything. And they just got rejected on the spot, everything. So, which makes absolutely no sense to me, right? Because like at the beginning of the conflict, the current administration said, we're going to take 200,000 refugees. We're not going to tell you how to get them here, uh, which is pretty typical, I would say, for the current admin. It's like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're not going to say how we're going to do it, but we're, we're going to do it because we're awesome. And we're, we're, you know, big social justice warriors. And we're, yeah, gung-ho. Uh, you can tell how I feel about the current administration. I think that uh, that uh, that's kind of mirrored here uh, with the. Our yeah, audience. that's pretty accurate. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, pretty typical. Right. So what they found out they could do is you can go to the border and at any point of entry in the United States, you can claim what's called humanitarian parole. Now, this is why they don't let people transit through the United States without a visa, because the minute you land in the United States, you can request this, uh, you know, this humanitarian parole to stay here legally for a year. Now, that's different than refugee status. So refugee status is what we hear with everybody crossing illegally, right, where they get all this stuff and the government provides them everything. And, you know, here's your cell phone. Here's your, your government yeah, check. Here's your free health care. Uh, you know, all that junk. Uh, that we're doing for all these people who are crossing illegally. What I what we had to do with humanitarian parole, there's no support at all. Uh, you basically get like uh, emergency insurance only, which doesn't cover anything. I might add. I'll tell you that <laughs> right. later uh, about that, uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, you basically are here for a year, and you know it's you, you get into the United States, but they're like they pat you on the back and they say good luck. So this gentleman was able to take his daughter to Tijuana, which was the big place where uh, people were crossing at that time. They were able to cross the border. They got her here on humanitarian parole. So next prepper lesson for you guys, a network is so critically important in any situation, whether it be bug out situation, survival, SHTF, having that community around you of people who are like-minded, who have the same goals that you are and who want to survive is so important. So if you guys don't have uh, you know, like a group of people uh, that you can trust and you're like, okay, uh, what's, how can we handle this situation? Uh, in a survival sense, you're in a very disadvantage if you're a lone wolf. So uh, guys, if start building your networks now while everything is safe. And to that point, I actually had somebody reach out to me from the last show that we did uh, who actually lives fairly close to me. And I, uh, I'm going to email, I emailed him earlier. We're going to meet up sometime and, uh, and chat. So if you're here, brother, glad uh, to get your email. I'll write you back and we'll find a time to get together. But yeah, guys, get your networks together now uh, because that can mean the difference between life and death. And if I hadn't spoke to this gentleman uh, and kind of understood how the process worked, I wouldn't have been able to have done anything that I already did. Uh, so really important, guys, get your networks together and get going. So I had this phone call with this gentleman. He said, yeah, basically all you got to do is you got to show up at the border with your, your person and uh, you know you're good to go. I'm like, well, that seems simple enough. Famous last words. Mm-hmm. Right. right. That sounds easy. Hold my beer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Famous last words. Right. Uh, so I talked. To, I talked to the wife. Wife was in nursing school at the time, uh, and I was like, okay, honey, like this is what happened. We don't know how they're going to let these refugees in. Otherwise, it's like this may be our only shot. 
right? Because if they're going to, you know, inflict basically a strict quota, uh, it's like we got to do this now or there may be no other chance. Uh, And so I talk with uh, my parents and stuff like that because I have a I have an older daughter. uh, And so I need some help with her. Uh, You know, I talk with the wife and I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Right. So all of this happened in like the span of 12 hours. I had my flight to Poland. I was packed the night before and I drove to Chicago the next day and got on a flight at O'Hare and off I went. Uh, So when these situations happen, sometimes you have to act quickly and decisively. And I think that that's another, you know, prepper lesson that we can have is inaction is a choice. If you just kind of sit there and decide I'm not going to do anything, uh, that is the decision. And then whatever happened to you kind of is your own decision. It's on you. You, yeah. it's on you. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, so when you have this moment, you have to act. You have to, for lack of a better term, for all our male listeners here, you got to be the man and take charge. Uh, and this is not to you know, for all of our our lady listeners, you can take charge too. But whoever you are, if you're faced with this decision, you need to make a decision and be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Let's go. Uh, And oftentimes you see this in, you know, the military. I was never in the military myself, but I've heard about it from combat veterans and things like that. It's like the worst thing you can do is just sit there and do nothing. Mm -hmm. Same thing in any survival situation. So next prepper lesson there is just take action. Uh, at least move forward some direction. So I was looking for flights, right. To get us out of Poland into Mexico. And I literally could not find any because everybody at that point, all the Ukrainians were like, okay, we've got to get over the border because it started floating around in all of these telegram chats. Uh, So I'm like, okay, let's just get over there. Let's get the mother-in-law and figure out how the heck we're going to do it from there. Because I don't have time uh, because like I said, this all happened in the span of like less than 12 hours. We're like, okay, yeah, it's go time. Let's roll. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. So another great lesson that'll come up later is pack light. Uh, for everybody who has like a 50 pound bug out bag, I highly recommend you try walking around with that for like eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I packed a backpack with minimal stuff. I had no checked bags. It was all on my backpack and that was it. And that served me well enough to get back to the United States in a rather roundabout way. So I get to Poland, right? And I had figured all this out. I had booked myself a hotel. Uh, It was actually fairly reasonably priced. uh, And it was actually really nice. Everybody there spoke English. And it was only like a mile and a half away from the airport. I'm like, this is perfect, right? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, when I get there, I land in Poland, no problem. Go through customs. Of course, I got the American passport. So it's like, yep, you can come in, no problem. Get there. And I'm like, all right, how am I going to get to the hotel? So I basically, I looked at it and I'm like, dude, I walk like a mile and a half, three miles with the dog every day. I can walk a mile and a half through Warsaw, right? So I punch it in on my phone. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. It says it'll take me half an hour to get there. I'm like, yeah, right. It's going to take me like 20 minutes. No, it took half an hour. Uh, So I start going and I basically walk through the armpit of Warsaw, for lack of a better term. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was nasty. And it was the point where I'm like, we could potentially be in a dangerous situation here. I was walking like under overpasses for their interstate system there. I didn't see any homeless people, but it was clear to me that there had been homeless people in the area that I was walking through because there was like a mattress on the side. I'm like, I don't want to know what happened on that mattress. Mm -hmm. But I just, I, when I was in this situation, I'm like, okay, maybe we should have used public transport. So 
if you can get public transport in a situation like this, it's probably going to be a lot safer than hoofing it uh, if you don't know the area. Like I walked through a construction site. I walked through, I don't want to say a homeless camp because again, there wasn't anybody there, but maybe they were out grifting at the time. I don't know. Uh, but I'm like, okay, we just need to get through this area as quickly as possible. And one thing that I can say is having confidence in a situation like this is so, it gives you an aura uh, that, you know, you can handle the situation. So basically, if you feel like you're in a dangerous situation, looking as confident as possible can be off-putting to people who might want to do you harm. Uh, right. So another great prepper lesson there for you, if you're in a situation like this, you don't want to be like, you know, looking down at your feet, trying to not make eye contact. Now, I'm not going to be like staring somebody down or something like that, trying to give them the thousand yard stare. But I'm also not going to appear weak either. Thankfully, I didn't have any type of confrontation, uh, you know, but when I was walking through the construction site, I basically walked through like I was the damn foreman uh, mm-hmm. or I knew somebody. No right. one asked me anything. And there were people working. There's heavy machinery going on. I just like I'm going man with a purpose, uh, for lack of a better term. So get to the hotel, get checked in. Great staff at the hotel. Uh, I text the wife. I'm like, okay, I made it. Everything's good. I didn't mention to her the fact that I just walked through the the armpit of Warsaw because she would have been kind of pissed off at me for that. And uh, I'm like, where's your mom? She's like, she's a good hour and a half out. I'm like, good. I can take a shower because I'm an, I need it. I've been on a flight for the last you know 12 hours. Uh, and international flights are not exactly fun unless you know how to handle it. And uh, so I get showered. Mother-in-law shows up. And now we have the the adventure of finding out how in the world we're going to get her to Mexico. Because like I said, all the flights from Tijuana were sold out at this point. So I'm like, okay, again, we need to make progress. Sitting here in Poland does us nothing. So how can we get to Mexico? Right. And so I found a flight from where we were through Zurich and then Heathrow, which is in the UK, and then direct to Mexico City after that. Again, like I told you at the beginning, we couldn't transit through the United States because they won't let her in without a visa. Right. Even if you're just uh, laying over, they won't let you in. They won't even let you on the plane because of what I said earlier about humanitarian parole. So I found this flight. It was for the next day. Uh, So, again, all this is happening incredibly fast. Uh, Basically, I look online. I'm like, okay, where do I need visas for her? I know that I don't need any. I, I hate to be you know, elitist about that, but it's just the truth, guys. Your U.S. passport can get you in a lot of places uh, right. without any type of visa. And like you so, said, it's so important that you and kind of everybody in your family get a passport and just have it. it you never know. Like mm-hmm. you said, this was a spur of the moment kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, right. If you had to go and get a passport with it then, today, yeah. you know, you can't wake up in the morning and be like, yeah, we're going. So, anyway, yeah, no, yeah. it takes time. And let me tell you guys, the wait time on passports is only getting longer. So if you don't have one, make the investment in yourself. Just make sure you get the book, not the card. The card sucks. Uh, the passport card, get the normal book uh, and you're good to go uh, for that. And that's good for 10 years. The renewal process is incredibly easy once you have it. But getting it that first time is a real pain in the rear end. Yeah, uh, because I know if I recall, you need your actual birth certificate. So if you don't have that, you're going to need to go get it. And of course, anything dealing with the government takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So, okay. Slowburn says he got his in three weeks. That's, that's really good. Uh, I will say that they're, from what I understand, there are some places go faster than others. Uh, but yeah, if you can get one now, better do it now while it's easy. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking through for all the visas, right? 
Uh, I'm looking at the UK. Okay, we don't need a visa for the UK because we're transiting. We need a visa for Mexico. So I go in there. I'm trying to get this visa for Mexico. I can't get it. It's like it won't take my card. Text back to mom back here in the United States. Hey, I'll send you the money. Can you get this for me? No problem. She puts it in 100% easy. I'm like, okay, well, why did it do it for her and not for me? The glory of the internet. What can I say? Uh, and I called my bank and everything before I left. I'm like, Hey, this is, this is happening. Uh, approve my charges. You know, it's like, unless it's, I'll keep an eye on everything and I'll let you know if there's anything wrong. So we get the visa for Mexico, or at least I think so. And, uh, next day we go to the airport. I took the taxi this time Mm -hmm. and we get there. And at this point, it was the first moment that I understood that if I wasn't there with my mother-in-law, this would never happen. Uh, she doesn't speak a lot of English and by a lot, I mean only a couple words. And again, having that passport with me, having the power behind the, the U.S. Of an passport. American, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and that's the thing, guys. If you have an advantage, leverage it when you can. Uh, you know, not for evil, but, you know, if you can get yourself an advantage in a situation, do it. Uh, you know, whether you think you're playing fair or not. Because in a bug out situation, in an SHTF situation, I think we're less concerned about what's fair and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to the airport. We have to go get the test, you know, the test, uh, because it was that time uh, when they were still requiring that. And uh, I won't say the word because I don't want to get you guys in trouble. But uh, we went and did that. Uh, we go down to get checked in. And, of course, at this point, they're like, oh, well, where's her visa for this? I'm like, there it is. They're like, look over everything. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, mother-in-law would have never made it. Uh, if I just because right. the, one of the gentlemen that I talked to, like, oh, yeah, I just sent her to Mexico and I met her in Mexico. My mother-in-law had never traveled international before. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an experience if you've never done it. So, you know, I had everything there ready for her. I was there with her. We go through minute we get through security. Wi-Fi in the airport just dies. So it's like I can't text the wife because it's like I need the Wi-Fi to do that. Uh, so she has no idea what's going on. So prepper lesson for you here expect things to go wrong uh, in your journey. Uh, So don't expect that plan A is going to be the plan that works for you the entire way, because there are so many different variables in these situations. Something is going to go wrong, but being able to think on the fly and act independently is critical for survival uh, in these types of things. So yes, you have plan A, but have plan B, C, D, E, and F all the way through Z and be able to adjust uh, that's a critical thing because if you can't adjust on the fly with these things, uh, you uh, there's a saying. It's like you know we make plans and God laughs. Uh, you know I, I think that that's very accurate in situations like this because nothing ever goes to plan. Uh, and I can tell you this trip, nothing went to plan. So I'm like, okay, the wife has no idea what's going on. I'll just I'll, we're going to Zurich next. Uh, so I'm like, all right, let's go to Zurich and hopefully they have Wi-Fi there. So we get on the plane. We go to Zurich. They feed us a chocolate bar, about yay big. It's like a little chocolate square. So yay for airline food. Uh, And I didn't have breakfast, and that'll come up a little later. We get to Zurich. We get to our gate. We have Wi-Fi. I text the wife, hey, everything's okay. We just lost Wi-Fi in the airport at at Warsaw. Get there. I go to our gate, and there's no plane. And we only had had like an hour and a half layover. I'm like, well, this isn't good. Uh, and they said, uh, I think it was something like, we'll announce, uh, announcement coming at, uh, something like 10 o'clock. Right. And that was our departure time. I'm like, well, that's, that's not good. So they come on the intercom. They basically say that our flight had not left 
uh, Scotland at that point, uh, and that they were going to be an hour and a half to two hours late. I'm like, well, that means our connection is shot because we only had about two hours in Heathrow. So I was hopeful that maybe our flight to Mexico City got delayed too, but uh, sadly that was not the case. So plane shows up, we get on, we get to Heathrow about two hours late. Uh, we got there about two in the afternoon, local time. They fed us a Nutri-Grain bar, big, you know, big expensive stuff here. And we get to Heathrow and our flight to, to Mexico had already left. Uh, if there's one thing about most like transatlantic flights is they usually leave on time for the most part. So I'm like, okay, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to do this. Now, I, of course, did not have a visa for the mother-in-law to stay in the UK. So I'm scrambling, trying to figure out what in the world we're going to do. But I'm like, let's just get our tickets figured out first. So we go to the British Airways uh, ticketing desk. And I am not joking when I say this. We literally stood in line for eight hours. Wow. Yeah. No food. Uh, They gave us water bottles. And so uh, this is a great prepper lesson for everybody prioritize water over food. I know in the prepper community, we're like, you know, beans, bullets, and band-aids, right? The big three B's. Mm-hmm. Uh, all about that. But I will say that you can survive a whole lot longer on water than you can on without it. I'll put it that way. So yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have those hunger pangs initially, but you can overcome that because they will go away. They don't stay with you like all the time. Right. And I think that's uh, you know, really important because you can mediate that with water and be okay. So at this point, I hadn't eaten basically for about 18 hours. And you'd be like, oh, that's not that bad. Yeah, you try it and tell mm-hmm. me how you feel. So we finally get up there and we find out what happened was there was a, uh, they said it was a technical problem with the British Airways computer system. I'm saying it was Russian hackers. Uh, but uh, I have no evidence of that, but it just felt right. Uh, so we get up there finally to the ticketing office. They're like, oh, we've already booked you. Here's your voucher for your hotel. Here's your, uh, you know, your voucher for your taxi ride to get there. Uh, your flight's tomorrow at the normal time. It was like, I think it's like one in the afternoon or something like that, local time in the UK. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, here, we got, do have a little bit of a problem. It's like the mother-in-law doesn't have a visa to stay here. He's like, oh, where's she's from? I'm like, she's from Ukraine. He's like, dude, she's from Ukraine. I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, you got no problem. I'm like, okay, good. So here's another thing. Uh, that you guys can learn. So I went up to the the customs officer, right? And I said to the guy, listen, I was talking to the people back at the British Airways booth and they said to come to the coolest guy at customs. And they said that was you uh, to, to get this taken care of. And he absolutely loved it. And I, I think one thing to remember, you're going to be cranky in these situations, right? It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be out of your comfort zone. You're not going to you know, enjoy what you're doing. I just stood in line for eight hours. I could be pissed off if I wanted right. to, right? I could have been a jerk. I could have been like, dude, how are we going to F and fix this, right? Yeah. But instead, if you take you know a more positive approach, especially when you're dealing with people and you want them to help you, coming at it and making them feel special or you know adding some levity to the situation can make a huge difference in your outcome. So the dude laughed. He absolutely loved it. He's like, yeah, what's going on? I'm like, yeah. Our flight was, you know, delayed getting here. We missed our connection. I don't have a visa for the mother-in-law. He's like, dude, it's no problem. So whips out his little stamp. He gives her a one-day visa to enter the UK, and it was no problem, right? Nice. So, uh, you know, we go off to the hotel. Of course, I was texting the wife the whole time while I'm standing in line uh, for eight hours, and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And so we finally get to the hotel, and it was clear to me that they knew there was something going on because there was a special line for British Airways delays at the hotel 
I was like, okay, awesome. So I handed him the voucher and he's like, uh, have you guys eaten yet? And we're like, no. Uh, he's like, dude, we're going to keep the kitchen open for about half an hour more. So if you want to eat, go eat now. I'm like, yes, we are going to go eat right now. Uh, and I will tell you that was the best leftover food I had ever had in my life. Um, it was like some Indian dish with like the, the basmati rice and like the curry. It was like the best curry I'd ever had at that point. Uh, so we get that and we get to our room, you know, get on, get our change our clothes. Cause we've been in them for like 24 hours at this point. At least it felt like it. I started looking for flights to get us to Tijuana. Uh, so I found one that said that there were, there were seats on it. It was direct from Mexico city straight to Tijuana. Cool. Book it. Right. All good. Get up in the morning, head off to Heathrow or actually one step back Had breakfast, the hotel, absolutely best hotel breakfast I had ever had in my life. I mean, they had the absolute full spread out. Right. And if you've ever had European breakfast, uh, you understand they have like the cold cuts, the tomatoes, the sliced cheese, they brought us a whole pot of coffee to the table. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to eat next. If we learned anything from the day before. So it's like, let's not skip breakfast today. Uh, so, you know, had a very nice breakfast, was amazing. Get to the airport. The lines were insane. I mean, insane. There were thousands of people at the British Airway booth. So this was clearly a systemic issue that they were having uh, because a lot of people were delayed. And so they had these little electric check-in stations where you could go just like scan your, your e-ticket and get to good. You're good to go. So the mother-in-law were only, we were only carrying on, right? We didn't have any check luggage. I asked the British airway employee, Hey, can I try this? Because it's like, I don't want to stand in line for an hour. Uh, right. So he's like, Oh yeah, if it works, give it a go. Scan our tickets, our boarding passes pop out. I think we're good to go. Go over to security. Uh, I will say they are very anal in, uh, Europe about fluids on flights. So if you ever fly through Europe, just know that ahead of time, make sure you're within the limits. Um, we go up to security and there's like the star Trek door, right? What you have to do, you go up to the door, you scan your boarding pass. They take your picture, the star Trek doors open and you go through. So mother-in-law not speaking English, there's no way I'm going to be able to describe to her what needs to be done. So it's better to show than to tell as they say. So I go up there, scan my boarding pass, you know, take the picture, walk through, everything's good, right? So I can see her on the other side. She does the same thing. Scans the boarding pass, red X. They're not letting her through. I'm like, what What the heck? I'm like, do it again. Does it again. Same thing. So eventually a British Airway employee comes over. I'm like, you know, what's going on here? Uh, you know, what's the problem? They're like, oh, they want to see her visa to Mexico. Okay. I'm like, well, can I come back out there because she doesn't speak English? And they're like, no, you're in the secure area now. If you come out, we can't let you back in. I'm like, okay. So how are we going to handle this? She's like, don't worry. I'll take care of it for you. Okay, thank you. And I call the wife. I'm like, well, we've hit a little bit of a snag, right? Because like at this point, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm sitting in the space right before security. The mother-in-law and I are separated, have no idea what's going on. And my wife tells me the line of the trip, and this will be repeated. She says, well, if you can't make it work, just send her back to Poland. <laughs> I'm just like, honey, we're, we're in the UK. Uh, it's going to be incredibly difficult for me to do that while we're separated. Right. Uh, and it's like, I'm sure we can get this figured out. But uh, one thing I want you guys to understand, when you're in a situation like this, it is possible that you may get separated from your group. And you have to be able to think independently, work independently, and have a plan for what you're going to do if that happens. So next prep or lesson from this bug out, be prepared to act on your own if you have to. 
Uh, and I'm not saying that's always going to happen, but it's something that can happen. So be prepared for it, mentally prepare for it now. Uh, because if, you know, it does happen and you have no idea, you're just like, well, what, what do I do? Uh, so practice these skills now. If you don't know how to start a fire with a fire steel, go out in the backyard and give it a go, right? If you have never used your water filter before, take it out of the box and give it a try. Because uh, the last time you want to be learning how these things work is when your life depends on it. Uh, so practice these skills now while they don't mean the difference between life and death. Uh, so great prepper lesson there. Eventually, the lady comes back. Everything was fine. They were able to cut in front of the line so she didn't have to stand in line for an hour, which was kind of nice. Scans her boarding pass. She gets into the secure area. Thank heaven. Uh, you know, we got through there. So I'm like, it's okay, honey. We got everything. We're good to go. Go through security. Again, this is when I found out about the liquids. So mother-in-law had a few too many liquids. They had to do some wipe tests on it. Everything was fine because it was just like perfume and stuff like that. But again, if you go flying through the UK, be aware of that. And we get down uh, into the, the waiting area, for lack of a better term, at Heathrow. And I get an email from my the person that I booked the flight through, the company I booked the flight for. And they said, there's a problem with your flight to Tijuana. They didn't say what the problem was. So I turn on Wi-Fi calling. I'm trying to get through to somebody. I get bounced around to like five departments while we're waiting for our flight. Finally, somebody says, oh, they overbooked the flight and they can't, you know, verify your ticket. I'm like, okay, because I initially thought that they just rejected the charge. Right. And I'm looking at my card. I'm like, there's plenty of funds in here. Like there's more than enough to cover like three flights to Tijuana. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, well, we can't verify your ticket. I'm like, okay, so you're saying we don't have a flight. Yes, that's correct. I'm like, okay. We're literally about to board our flight to Mexico City at this point. Get on there. Uh, we're walking, you know, to the the, uh, the the jetway, and they're like, "Well, can we call you back in an hour?" I'm like, "No, I'm I'm literally getting on the flight to Mexico City right now." I'm like, "Can you call my wife and maybe she can kind of, you know, figure this out?" Oh yeah, what's her number? Okay, so I give them her number. Do you guys think that they called my wife? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like it, huh? No, they did not. Not the entire time. Uh, so I, I think about this while we're mid flight, we're basically over the Atlantic and I'm like, you know what, let's just spring and buy for a little fly fi for like an hour. It sucks by the way, if you've ever used airplane Wi-Fi and you pay for the cheapest one, it's terrible, but it's good enough to send a text message. Uh, so I text the wife, I'm like, Hey, did they ever call you? She's like, no. I'm like, okay, cool. Good to know. Uh, I'm like, well, we're going to need to get a hotel. And she's like, maybe you ought to have your mom help you out with that. I'm like, okay, because I don't have the bandwidth to like book a hotel on the flight. So I text mom, hey, I need you to get us a, a hotel because we're probably going to have to stay in Mexico City at least tonight. And the other thing was on the entry form, they want to see where your hotel is going to be uh, because they don't want you doing what we did. Uh, <laughs> so she goes ahead and books the the hotel for us. Uh, we get to Mexico City. The line through customs was ridiculous. Not unsurprisingly uh we get down there to the the guy and it's pretty clear like it was about shift change time so he was kind of tired probably pissed off that he's having to deal with all these foreigners right we get up there he's like oh, i need to see her visa i give him the visa he's like no this isn't a visa i'm like what are you talking about this, this is the visa that you guys said no you need to get this other visa okay well how do you want me to do that oh you can you can get that online i'm like sir you understand they disabled the wi-fi here in customs how exactly am I supposed to get this visa for my mother-in-law? And uh, he just kind of gives me the eye roll, right? And he's like, just give me your passport. So I gave her the passport. He walks off. 
five minutes later, he shows up. He's like, now, next time you come here, make sure you have this visa. I'm like, yes, sir. Absolutely. Next time we come here, I'm totally going to have that visa. Mm-hmm. I'm never going back with that visa, guys. I'll just tell you that right now. So, you know, again, sometimes you just kind of have to be able to think on your feet and be like, hey, bro, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do here. How are we going to fix this? And most of the time, people are willing to help you and take care of you and help you out if they need to. So we get to Mexico. I'm like, okay, I learned my lesson from Poland, right? Don't walk, take the freaking taxi. So go and I get the taxi. Taxi driver, let's just say, took us on a ride a little bit. Uh, I could tell he was kind of driving in circles to kind of run up the uh, the tab. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, because I, I literally saw the turnoff for the hotel and he missed it. I'm just like, hmm, right. all right, we're not getting a big tip. We'll just put it that way. So mm-hmm. we pay him, we get there, we check in, lovely place, go up to our room. I look out the window, I can see the airport, and I literally see a walkway from the hotel to the airport. So it's like the one time I should have walked, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And the time that I shouldn't have walked, I did. So it was kind of like my running joke. It's like, okay, obviously I don't know when to take the taxi and when not to take the taxi. But uh, yeah, it would have been nice if they would have mentioned, oh yeah, you can just walk to the hotel from here. But yeah, he wanted to get his fare. So good for him. I hope he needed it. We get checked in. I figure out, okay, we got to start trying to figure out how to get out of Mexico City. Because let me just be honest with you guys. Mexico City is not a safe place. Uh, it's, it's pretty nasty. I will say from the view from our hotel, which was connected to the airport, I could see like slums for lack of a better term. It was, I'm not going to say that I heard like gunshots or anything like that, but it was funny because I was texting with some of my friends who are like, dude, you're going to go out and try the tacos there. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? It's like, no. Mm. Uh, so always be aware of your surroundings in a bug out situation, guys. Uh, because your personal safety is your own, uh, you know, business at that point. Uh, and you're in a foreign country. You have no idea what's going on. Like we talked about at the beginning, cartels are a big issue. And especially yeah. now, they're even worse. Uh, you know, you see about people. Uh, yeah, I know that's where the best food is, slow burn. <laughs> but I, I am not willing to risk my life. And if I tried that, my mother and my wife would have killed me. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, honey, we left the hotel. And we went to a taco stand. I'm not sure where they got the meat. Uh, maybe it's like yeah. they did in uh, Demolition well, Man. It was well, they got meat. mugged twice, and yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's fine. I'll get fake passports. Don't worry about it, honey. Uh, no, thankfully we did not do any of that. Um, but that night, I was looking for a flight. I found a flight to Monterey, which is a pretty big touristy area. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, that's at least closer to the border. It's not on the border, but it's in the right direction. And we're getting out of Mexico City. Let's get it. It was stupid cheap. It was like a hundred bucks. Uh, so I get us the flight. It was for that night, actually, at like four in the morning. So I'm like, all right, let's get cleaned up. Let's get packed up. Yeah, dog tastes delicious. I'm sure it does, Mayhem. I, I don't know how you know that, and I don't know why, why uh, how you figured it out, and I don't want to know. So don't tell us the story there, brother. Um, so we get packed up. I, I drop the key off at the desk. We go down to get checked in. It's just like British Airways again. We're literally standing in line. No one is moving. And it's like we're standing and standing. I'm like, we're not making this flight. There's literally no way we're making this flight. So I'm like, okay, we missed this one. It, it, again, it wasn't a huge financial loss. So I wasn't too worried about it. But I'm like, how are we going to figure this out? Because we can't just sit here in Mexico City, right? This isn't accomplishing anything. 
So the I'm, I'm texting with, with mom. I'm texting with the wife. They're sending me flights. I'm like, all of them are booked. Like, there's nothing. So she's like, why don't you just go to the ticket counter? So I go to the ticket counter. And um, we had been talking about, uh, you know, where we were going to cross. Because at this point, everyone was going to Tijuana. And what they were doing, if you remember this back then, they were setting up like hostels, for lack of a better term, in gyms. Like they were putting up cots for all of the refugees coming through who were claiming humanitarian parole from Ukraine. And so they're like, it's going to be like a two to three day wait in Tijuana when we get there just to get our number called. So they're like, there's another crossing at uh, Mexicali or Calexico, depending on which side of the border you're on. Why not try there? Okay, cool. So I go to the ticket booth and, but I'm still, I'm still having Tijuana in the back of my mind because obviously they know what to do there. So I go to the the ticket booth and I'm like, can you get us to Tijuana? Oh yeah, we can get you there in five days. I'm like, well, that's not going to work. I would rather not sit in Mexico for the better part of a week. Uh, I'm like, what about Mexicali? Oh, we can get you there uh, in in three days. I'm like, well, that's better than five. Uh, you know, hard math on stream, but three is less than five. Uh, so yes, tacos del Alabrador, absolutely the best. Uh, <laughs> You guys are hilarious. I love your group here. This is a great channel. Uh, so I'm like, okay, let's take it. Uh, you know, we have no other choice at this point. So another prepper lesson for you. Sometimes you're going to get delayed, guys, uh, and you have to be prepared for that because it's some, there are situations that are just out of your control. When you're in a bug out situation, there are a lot of things that are not within your sphere of control that you can't handle, and you have to roll with the punches. And I think that we have this idea of what the, our bug out's going to look like, but there are so many factors pulling you in different directions that you have to be ready for things to go wrong. Uh, and so, you know, basically I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to Calexico, Mexicali, book the flight. Of course, at this point, the credit card company had stopped allowing charges to my card. So I had to call them from Mexico City and be like, no, I'm legitimately trying to purchase this flight. Well, we noticed that you purchased a flight for today as well. Yes, I know we missed that flight. Please unlock my card. We need to send you a text. You, you guys know how it works, right? We yeah. had to go through all this while I'm standing at the ticket counter in Mexico City. Good times. So basically, at this point, we camp out in the hotel, for lack of a better term. We did not leave the airport or the hotel the entire time. They had like they had a 7-Eleven in the hotel or the airport. I'm not joking. It was legit 7-Eleven. Uh, so... You feel like I could have made it faster by donkey dude. At this point, I felt like it slow burn. I really did. Uh, so we finally, it comes to the day when it's time to roll out. So we get all packed up, uh, you know, we're ready to go. And this whole time we had been talking about where we were going to cross the border and a Calexico was fine. There was another town, the most Northern entry point into the United States and Mexico is a town called Los Alagones. What this town is known for is basically medical tourism for lack of a better term, primarily dentistry. If you've never had dental procedures here in the United States and you don't have insurance, uh, you'll find out that it's incredibly expensive, but it's a lot less expensive in Mexico to have the same thing done. So what people will do, they will literally drive down to this town on the border. There's a, They even have a parking lot now for people who are going to walk across. You go through and there's like tons of dental offices there. So we're like, okay, this is more safe than pretty much any other border crossing that we found because there's lots of Americans there. They need our money. And so you're less likely to get into trouble. So mm -hmm. seemed like a good idea, but we need to check, right? So I called the border office at Los Alagones. 
I explain the situation. Can I claim humanitarian from my mother-in-law at your location? Yes, absolutely, sir. It shouldn't be a problem. Called back two more times to make sure that I got different people that gave me the same answer. And then I also had my mother call. Uh, so again, we had another person calling to make sure they all gave us the same exam- exact answer. Like, yes, you can do it. So I'm like, all right, let's do that because it's going to be a safer place for us to cross. We get the flight. We go to Mexicali. We get off at Mexicali. Of course, my mother-in-law gets pulled across for a random passport check. It's completely random. I walked through, but mm-hmm. yeah, she got pulled off for random. Now, they were pulling everybody off with a foreign passport. It was about as as random as uh, something that's not random. I can't think of a good yeah. line for that one. But uh, yeah, so I'm standing there. Uh, I yeah. went ahead and booked our taxi to get to Los Alagones because it was a good like 30, 45 minutes away. I'm like, okay, we should be good. Get on the taxi. I'm literally watching the guy drive us there on my maps. I'm like, okay, is this guy trying to kidnap us? No. Okay, this is how I would drive if I was going there. So we get to Los Alagones, probably about a block and a half away from the border, right? Walk up there. Totally fine. Lots of touristy stuff. Uh, I mean, it's, it's your, tra- your classic tourist trap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, type town there on the border. Of course, we're going past all the dental offices. And I see the border. There's only like two dozen people in line in front of us. I'm like, dude, we got it. I can see the United States. And of course, this whole time while the wife and I are trying to figure out where we're going to go. And she says, well, honey, you know, if there's any problem, just send her back to Poland. I'm like, sweetheart, we're in freaking Mexico City at this point. It's like there's no way I can send her back to Poland right now. It's like we're in a for a poker term. We're pot committed. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're committed at this point. We got to do it. So. We get to Los Alagones. I text the mom. I text wife. I'm like, hey, we've got this in the bag, right? Go up there, get to the point where we're showing passports to the guard there. I said, hey, I need to claim humanitarian parole for my mother-in-law. Oh, we can't do that here, sir. I'm like, what? He's like, we can't do that here. I'm like, I called you guys' office yesterday. He said you could. Like, are you trying to tell me how to do my job, sir? I'm like, wait a minute here, bro. Let's let's step back here. No, I'm not telling you how to do your job. I'm just telling you what I heard. He's like, well, we can't do that. You need to step out of line. Okay, cool. No problem. So I made the one critical mistake on this trip of when we got to Mexicali, I should have called the border crossing again. I call the border crossing station. I talk to a manager. I'm literally standing outside their their office, right? Uh, of course, there's a nice gate between me and them. And they're like, yeah, we can't do that. You're going to have to go back to Mexicali. I'm like, dude, I called your office yesterday and you said you could. He's like, well, why didn't you get here yesterday? I'm like, because I was sitting in an airport in Mexico City. That's why. It's like I could do like Slowburn is telling me, could you take could I just take a donkey from Mexico City to here? I don't think so. Uh, You know, so he's like, yeah, you're going to have to go back to Mexicali. I'm like, okay. So now we come to the point of like, how the heck do we get back to Mexicali? So. There is no Uber service there. And Uber actually is more safe in Mexico than actual taxis from what I've read uh, because you have all that information of your driver and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's no Uber service. And I get on my maps and there's one taxi company in the town. And we start going. And if there is one thing at this point I really would have liked to have, it would have been my concealed carry, uh, you know, because there is no Second Amendment there in Mexico, obviously. Uh, and if you need ammo for your concealed carry, make sure you check us out. Ammo.com forward slash Chris. Uh, get your free discount coupon. Uh, but we get there and I start walking. And of course, the the wife is despondent at this point. She's just uh, you know, upset. Send her back to Poland. I'm like, honey, how can I send her to Poland? There's literally no airport in this town. 
Um, you know, we've got to figure this out. So I start walking and I have this moment. And this is probably the thing that is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. I'm looking down this street and I have this moment where it's kind of like in the movies where you see like the center of the screen stays focused and everything on the side like pulls back like this. I had this moment looking down the street and I'm like, no, we're not walking down here. Like mm-hmm. there's, we're, we're not doing this. And so if there is, I, I've told you guys lots of prepper lessons for this whole story, but if there's one thing that sticks with you, if your gut tells you not to do something, do not do it. Listen to what your gut tells you guys, because I don't know if anything would have happened if I would have went down there, but it's just like, I looked down it and something spoke to me and said, Nope. Don't do that. I'm not saying a literal voice came down to me, but, you know, his holiness did not reach down from the heavens and say, Chris, don't go down that street. Uh, You know, but I just had this feeling. It's like, this is incredibly dangerous if I go down the street and we're going to get in trouble. I'm like, okay, so we're not doing this. So I did a complete 180, start walking back. And I'm like, okay, how are we going to figure this out? So I'm walking past this one dentist's office, right? And there's a doorman there. And he's like, oh, hey, sir, how are you doing today? I'm like, not so hot. Uh, He's like, oh, what's going on? And he was a Mexican gentleman, spoke perfect English. I explained to him the situation. He's like, give me a minute. I can help you out. Okay. So at this point, I'm like, I have to trust this guy, right? Because I have no one else. I have nobody in Mexico. I don't know anybody in Mexico. Uh, You know, I have no car. I have, there's no rental places there. There's no place I can get a taxi. I can't get taxi service. So he starts making calls and eventually he gets one of the, like the dental techs from another office basically said, yeah, I can take him back. And he asked me how much I paid to get there on the taxi. He's like, yeah, it's probably going to be more. I'm like, I don't care. Um, Name your price at this point. Uh, You know? So when we came to Los Alagones, we came in like a nice air conditioned car. It was really good. Quite the stark opposite when this gentleman pulls up in a freaking jalopy, right? I mean, it is just, the windows are down because the air conditioner doesn't work. He's got like all sorts of stuff to fix his car in the trunk. Uh, was barely able to even fit our backpack and my mother-in-law's carry on, carry on in there. And uh, we start going, his name was uh, Jose. Uh, and thankfully Jose spoke English and we were just talking the whole trip uh, back. And so another prepper lesson for you guys here is sometimes you may have to depend on the kindness of other people. And I know in the prepper community, we're like, oh, you know, we got to, you've got to stay, you know, just in our own circle. You can't trust anybody, but there may come a time where you have to. Uh, and this goes both ways, by the way. Uh, you know, so if there's a time when someone needs your help, I highly recommend if it's in your capacity to do so, you try and help this person. Now, I'm not saying at the debilitation or the loss of your family, uh, you know, don't put yourself out there to the point where you can't survive. But if you can help somebody in a situation, do it. Because one, if you believe in karma, it'll come back to you later. But two, oh no, no problem, Chris. Thank you for being here for this. I appreciate it. I know we're going long, but we're getting to the the interesting part here in a minute. Uh, But yeah, if you can help somebody in a situation, that could come back later to help you. And you just never know how far reaching your acts may be. Uh, So I will say that, yes, there are a lot of nasty people in Mexico, but the average citizen, the normal person, the person just working a nine to five, is going to be, for the most part, good people. Uh, so I don't want people to be like, oh, yeah, all Mexicans are bad. It's not true, guys. There are a lot of good people there who are just trying to make it just like you and me, uh, and they're not illegally crossing the border. So 
Jose and I and the mother-in-law hop in his jalopy. Uh, and I want to tell you guys about what Mexican GPS is. This is my personal favorite, right? So we he's driving us back. And again, I'm like watching him. I'm like, are, are we going the right way? Yeah, we are. We're going the exact way again that I we came with the taxi the first time. So we're going in there and we get to Mexicali. He's like, oh, hang on a second. I got to stop at uh, like this basically convenience store. He needed to get more coolant for the car uh, because apparently his radiator was leaking. Uh, and so at this point, I, I understand that uh, his transmission also wasn't working because when he got out, he had to literally pop the hood, reach down, push the thing into gear or out of gear. So like his shifter didn't work. His shifter just stayed in the same spot the whole time. <laughs> so he's manually shifting it by reaching down and actuating the transmission, which was freaking hilarious. Uh, but we get there and Mexican GPS, right? You think, oh, we're just going to whip out our smartphone. We're going to punch it in. That's how we do it. No. Mexican GPS is you find somebody standing on the street and you'd be like, hey, bro, how do we get to the uh, the border crossing? Oh, you know, you go down to the taco stand and then you make a left and then it's like half half a kilometer up. Of course, I don't speak Spanish. I don't know if that's what he said, but that's what it was. It's like right. you talk to these guys standing out on the street. Like, how the heck do you get here? I'm not from this town. It's amazing how dependent we are on our phones now for navigation. It is crazy. It really is. So it's different. kind of scary, honestly, because if people don't have it, they have no idea how to get anywhere or actually how to just ask for directions. Uh, so, yeah, another thing, guys, if you can learn, if you have paper maps, I know those are incredibly hard to come by, but if you don't have paper maps in your bug out bag, you are at a severe disadvantage. So get those now, and they're freaking cheap. Uh, you know, so especially for your local area, if you're planning a local bug out, make sure you have that. Uh, so Jose gets us to the border. He actually accidentally went down the car line, which of course he couldn't go through because one, he's Mexican. He can't cross the border, uh, and through the car line and two, I couldn't do it. So we had to literally stop. He had to get out. He put the e-brake on, right? Steps out, pops the hood, puts the thing in reverse. He's like, sputtering as we go back up the hill <laughs> thankfully there was several lines that weren't in service so we were able to back up and it, the car died at one point during this so we had to put the e-brake back on start the car back up go out put it back into reverse sputter <laughs> back up to the top of the hill turns down the correct lane and gets us right there uh and uh, i still have jose's number in my phone he said dude if there's any problem if you need any help with anything you know, if you guys can't cross tonight, give me a call. Let me know. I can translate for you. You know, whatever you need, just call me. So I, I gave Jose a big hug. I gave Jose a big freaking tip too. Uh, you know, because without this guy, I don't yeah. know what we would have done. It's like the mother-in-law would have been stuck in Mexico. I could have crossed, but like, what are we going to do? Right. Uh, you know, at that point. So yeah, and be generous if you can for people who help you, uh, because without them, you're going to be up a creek, uh, for lack of a better term. So now we finally get to the border, right? Uh, we're coming to the climax of everything here. So we get to the border. We're standing in line. It's not too bad. There's maybe about 50, 60 people going through here. And I'm looking through this. I'm like, where are all the freaking Ukrainians at, right? But, uh, you know, we get through the line. We're walking. I'm like, all of these people are like locals or, or Americans. Like, where's the line for the Ukrainians? Because I had heard that there were people crossing there. So we get up close to the front. And I'm like, hmm, those people look Slavic to me. So I tell the mother-in-law, go over, talk to them. She like she waves me over I'm like yeah okay these were the volunteers so what was happening at this point is there were people from the United States who were helping people cross uh, at these borders who spoke both Russian Ukrainian and English they're volunteers there were tons of them at um, Tijuana I had heard about them 
we found them, excuse me, we found them there while we're at the border and they're like, yeah, come over here. So we're standing out in the heat for a couple hours. That was fun. Um, and of course, you know, we again have not changed clothes and we'll get to that here in, in about, you know, 18, 20 hours in the Mexican heat. Uh, so they eventually, they call the mother-in-law back. Now what we had had is we have family friends who live in San Diego uh, and they were going to come pick us up at the border. So I'm thinking, okay, they took the mother-in-law back. We are good to go, right? We're, we're, we're doing great. So I text them. I'm like, Hey, if you guys want to start coming, uh, go for it. Cause it's going to take them a good, like two hours to get there from San Diego. So like, yeah, we're on our way. Uh, we're going to stop and pick up some, you know, some refreshments for you. I'm like, thank goodness. Because yeah, uh, I'm tired of eating hotel Mexican food. Uh, so we go back and I'm standing there. I'm like, well, what the hell do I do at this point? I'm like, I'm talking to the volunteers. I'm like, should I go across the border and wait for her? Like what's going on? They're like, I would wait here just for a minute. You know, let's figure out what's going on. So I went out and I went and I bought everybody there who was still outside water. Uh, because again, it was freaking hot and it cost me like $2 to buy like 10 water bottles that were like a mm-hmm. liter a piece. Uh, so I bought all that for them because I mean, these people are helping us and you know, they're, they're giving their own time to help these, these refugees get across the border. So, uh, you know, got everybody out. And then one of the volunteers comes back. He's like, Hey, do you want to go sit with your mother-in-law? I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. He's like, okay. He's like, I'm going to tell everybody that you're one of the volunteers. He's like, just don't cause any problems. I'm like, dude, trust me at this point, the last thing I am going to do is raise a fuss. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so we go back there and it's kind of like the doctor's office is the best way I can describe it. You know, when you're at the doctor's office, you have the front waiting room and then they take you back to the, what I like to refer to as the second waiting room, uh, Mm -hmm. where you wait for the doctor to show up. That's kind of how this was. Now this, this was the interesting part. So they had like these benches, right? So we're all sitting on these like concrete benches, but there was a separate bench for, well, let's just say all the Mexicans. And then there was this other bench for where, uh, you know, all the Ukrainians were at. And so they were, uh, okay, let's see here. Slow burn. Yeah. You went to Mexico all the time. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Uh, but yeah, renting a car in Mexico, that would be interesting. Uh, I am kind of glad I didn't do it, but in some ways I kind of wish I had. Um, but in any case, so we're sitting there and there are obviously two lines and the lines for the, the Mexicans coming through was going through like greased lightning for lack of a better term. And Mm -hmm. we're sitting there, they're getting one family through at a time. Uh, And it took about an hour per family. So I text our friends. I'm like, "Um, take your time getting here because it's going to be a hot minute before we get through this line. They're like, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll wait for you. Like we'll meet at the Jack in the box across the border. I'm like, okay, good to know. Uh, So what they were doing at this point was they were taking women and children first, which totally cool with that. I, I get it. I have small children. The last thing I want them to do is sitting out in the heat because, you know, a hot child is a cranky child for the most part. Uh, and so totally fine with them getting, you know, families with children through first. Uh, we get to the point where all of the kids and families were taken care of. Right. And we've been sitting there for like three hours uh, in the second waiting room. And then what they tell us is that there were, was overflow from Tijuana that was going to be bust over. Uh, because at this point, Tijuana was packed. I mean, they were at capacity. Like I said, they were setting up hostels and like school gyms, churches, anywhere they could find it. So they're like, there's like three families coming. So all of the Ukrainians who had been incredibly reserved, you know, polite, quiet at this point, all get pissed off because it's like, we've been sitting here all day and these people hop off the bus and they get to go in front of us like WTF, bro. Uh, it's especially the best way I can say it. So it's like, 
they all start talking to the volunteers and the volunteers like, you know, there's nothing we can do. This is border patrol that's saying this, uh, you know, we got to do what they say. And like, okay, we get that. But I'm like texting with the wife. She's like, well, if you can't get her across today, just send her back to Poland. I'm like, honey, are you freaking kidding me? It sounds like she's trying to get her mother, mother to, to go back to Poland to begin with. It seems that way, but it, it's like, she's like, well, we've, we, we, you know, we can't spend any more money on this. I'm like, sweetheart, I am sitting on the border. I can throw a rock and hit the United States from where I'm at. It's like, no, honey. It's like, if we can't get through today, there's literally a hotel across the street. It's like, I will get us a hotel room and we will come back first thing in the morning tomorrow. It's like, we are doing this one way or another. And so if I can give you guys some as advice as, you know, a prepper and the puppies here, she's wanting attention. Uh, you know, in these situations, be strong is basically what I can say. Uh, you know, you need to be the calm in the storm, for lack of a better term. When everyone else is freaking out around you, you need to be the calm and the rational one because you are a prepper. You've done the work ahead of time. You know what to do. You know how to do it. So just go out there and do it, brothers and sisters. Be that calm voice in the storm that says, no, we're not going to freak out. We're not sending the mother-in-law back to Poland. We're going to freaking do this. And because, well, because I'm not going to quit until I win. So having that attitude of like, no, we're doing this and we're going to get it done uh, can give a lot of confidence to people who maybe don't have it. Uh, So being able to do that and say that is a really strong thing. Uh, So I recommend that you try and be that calm in the storm, that rock that everybody can count on uh, in a situation. So, you know, calm under fire, right, for lack of a better term. So the uh, the volunteers come back. They say, okay, we're going to take some singles, uh, meaning people who are, didn't have kids. Uh, and so eventually they take, like, one group that was like a, like a boyfriend and her girlfriend and their mother, uh, and they take them back. And they're like, okay, we're going to take you guys next, meaning me and, and my mother-in-law. So the whole time, the volunteers had been uh, coaching them They're like, okay, when you get back, here's the password, humanitarian parole. This is what you need to say to them. So I'm like talking with the mother-in-law when we're back. I'm like, okay, you remember the words, right? She's like, da, da, which is yes in Russian. I'm like, what is it? Da, da. I'm like, no, humanitarian parole. Da, da. I'm like, oh boy, we're in trouble. So they eventually call us back. And I think they had a shift change at, Border Patrol, because we got the happiest Border Patrol agent I have seen in my life. This lady comes back. She's like, oh, who's next? And they're like, oh, this this gentleman here, he's a U.S. citizen. He's escorting his mother-in-law, you know, across for humanitarian parole. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool that you're doing that. They're like, can he go back there with her? Oh, definitely. Come on back. You're more than welcome. Like, okay, good. This this is great, right? So we go, and they take us back to this little office. Is air-conditioned, which was amazing. Uh, and... We sit down and we get to this jolly big guy. Again, I think it was just as he just started a shift. He's like, so, and they passed her the, the, my mother-in-law's password. Miss Kropenko, what can the United States do for you? And the mother-in-law just has deer and headlights on her face. And I'm like, oh, now's the time. Say it. Da, da. I'm like, no. Humanitarian parole. And she like ekes out the word humanitarian, like with me. And he's like, it's okay. I understand what she needs. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's like, we've been standing outside all day. I've been sweating my rear end off. 
And so he he goes through this, and they had to, of course, fingerprint her when she came across. Her hands were so dry they couldn't get her fingerprints. They needed her basically to like rub her, uh, you know, her hands on her forehead to get some oil on there to do it. She couldn't figure that out. I literally had to take her hand, put it on my forehead, and rub it across there a couple times. Like, okay, now do it. Of course, we had technical difficulties with the computer, and they had to restart the computer system. But eventually, they finally got everything to poop out. They're like, okay. You're in. Here's we stamp this. Like keep this in your passport. This is your humanitarian parole. You're good here for a year. Uh, you know they explain all that. Thank you so much. They take me up to the front of the line. Uh, there, I had my own my border patrol escort to the front of the line. They're like, this gentleman needs to be checked out next. I'm like, yeah, I'm the freaking boss here. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so stamped out. I mean, it was literally like ten seconds for me. They're like, welcome back to the United States. Thank you, sir. It's been a journey. Uh, <laughs> and so we get out. I take a picture out in front of the border patrol office because my wife the whole time had been like, I'll be happy when I get the picture. Right. right? Because all of everybody who had been doing this was taking the picture outside of Tijuana and posting it. I'm like, okay, I'm taking the picture. Right. And I send it to her. And she's like, what does this mean? I'm like, <laughs> honey, she's like, does she get to stay? I'm like, this is the picture you've been waiting for this entire week that we've been doing this. Yes. She gets to stay. We're through. Uh, and of course my phone is dying at this point. Right. Uh, so I'm like, I got to save my battery. I'll call you when we get to the car. So we're walking through Calexico. Right. And I have guys like soliciting me for uh, taxi rides. He's like, Hey, you need to go to, to, uh, you know, to, to San Diego. I'm like, no, we got to ride. What do you not like Mexicans? No, no, I'm, I'm good, sir. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, they didn't, she didn't say it was too late to take her back to Poland, thankfully. Uh, but uh we get to Jack in the Box. Our friends are there. Uh, we get in the in the car. Basically, they had a van. They took us there to their home in San Diego. And one thing that I noticed, another prepper lesson for you guys, two, two of them actually, your clothes are probably not as durable as you think that they are, uh, especially in really oppressive conditions, uh, you know, like what we were in. Your clothes are going to deteriorate a lot faster than you think. And the, the second thing, Pack extra socks, uh, guys, because if your feet get in trouble, you're dead in the water. Uh, if you're planning on taking the Ankle Express, which if things go really bad, that's your only option, uh, and you don't have your feet, you're you're dead uh, at that point. So I, I've i always had chronic issues with like athlete's foot and stuff like that. My feet were messed up after that. It would have been nice to have had another pair of socks. Uh, and of course, I took multiple with me, but I burned through them because it took us about a week to get there. Uh, so guys pack extra socks in your bug out bag. That's the best thing I can tell you right now, uh, because you will be happy when you can change them out. Uh, so after that, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, the light hiking wool socks, those Merino wool socks, really good stuff guys. So invest in that. I don't care if it costs a couple extra dollars. You will thank me later. Um, so we get to their house in San Diego. We get all taken care of. I buy a ridiculously expensive flight back to Chicago. Uh, and, you know, we had no problem getting back after that. Uh, since then, uh, we, my wife and I have had our first child together. So she got to be here for the birth of her grandchild, which is really cool. Nice. Um, we've been able to apply for what's called temporary protected status to be able to keep her here longer. And I, again, guys, I don't want any of you to think that your tax dollars are going to pay for this because I can promise you that they're not. I have not received. <laughs> you haven't gotten the check? I, they, no, I, they keep telling me it's in the mail, right? But it just never shows up. No. Uh, so when you're here on humanitarian parole, it's different than refugee status. Uh, and so we have not gotten anything from the government except her emergency health care 
uh, which, like I said, covers literally nothing. Uh, and it uh, doesn't even cover vaccinations, by the way, your standard stuff uh, like measles, mumps, things like that. I had to pay for that out of pocket. So, guys, I don't want you to think that uh, I'm, I'm tax burdening you by bringing my mother-in-law here. We've been taking care of her. But it's been uh, it's been an experience. It was the the trip of a lifetime, to say the least. And there are a lot of good lessons uh, from all of that yeah. that I think that as preppers we can learn. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, is mental preparation, but also just having, you know, really durable clothes, uh, socks especially, and being able to be flexible are probably the biggest things that I can tell you uh, about when having to go through a situation like this because nothing's going to go to plan. Yeah. No, dude, that's awesome. It's, I mean, what a journey, you know, to hear it unfold. It's like, yeah, no, that's crazy. I can't even imagine. And, you know, to have some perspective, of what's involved in that kind of thing. It, it, no, we appreciate it. No, I I was glad to do it. And there are just so many lessons that I learned on that trip and so many things that I felt like we as preppers can glean from that, uh, that it could be, it could make, it could save a lot of people, I think. And that's really why I wanted to tell this story because, you know, we want to help. We want to make more preppers, right? Because the more preppers we have, the less marauders there are when SHTF happens. So, uh, you know, guys, if you can get prepared now, make sure you're doing that. Make sure you're watching this channel here uh, because these guys are awesome. I really appreciate you guys having me back on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's it's great having you. No, I, I enjoy it. I love coming out here and talking with you guys. You got some great people here on your audience. Uh, hilarious comments. I love you. Guys. <laughs> uh, we Labrador do have the tacos. entertainment. Yeah, the Labrador tacos are probably my favorite uh, favorite comment. That's on the whole, it. Whole live stream here. All right, so we appreciate it. With that, stay safe, and we will talk to you guys next week. Places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.